Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of ovarian cancer from the oncology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 68-year-old woman presents to her gynecologist with pelvic pain and discomfort. Her symptoms are associated with a bloated sensation with increased urinary frequency. She became menopausal at the age of 52. Pelvic examination is notable for an adnexal mass. CA-125 levels are elevated. A transvaginal ultrasound demonstrates an ovarian mass concerning for malignancy. Preparations are made for surgical resection to establish a tissue diagnosis. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick overview, ovarian cancer is a malignant neoplasm originating from the ovaries. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, ovarian cancer is the second most common gynecologic malignancy. The mean age of diagnosis is 69. Also know that ovarian cancer is the most common gynecologic malignancy that results in death. Risk factors include a mutation in the breast cancer gene, or BRCA1, which is on chromosome 17, or BRCA2, which is on chromosome 13. Other risk factors include early menarche, family history, nulliparity, infertility, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, or HNPCC syndrome, which is also known as Lynch syndrome. Protective factors against ovarian cancer include breastfeeding, which decreases the risk of breast and ovarian cancer. Other protective factors include oral contraceptive pills and chronic anovulation. Associated conditions with ovarian cancer include BRCA1 or 2 mutations, as well as Lynch syndrome. Moving on to the presentation of ovarian cancer, patients may be asymptomatic in early stages of the disease. However, when they do have symptoms, they may include pelvic and or abdominal pain, bloating, urinary urgency or frequency, and vaginal bleeding. On physical exam, an adnexal mass is highly concerning in postmenopausal women since their ovaries should be atrophic. Moving on to imaging, a pelvic ultrasound, for example, a transvaginal or transabdominal ultrasound, is the imaging study of choice. A transvaginal ultrasound should be used in premenopausal and postmenopausal women with a pelvic mass. A transabdominal ultrasound can be used in young, not sexually active, prepubescent adolescents with a pelvic mass. Findings on pelvic ultrasound can include an ovarian mass, however, it's not specific for ovarian cancer. Suggestive findings include a greater than 10 centimeter mass, irregularity, and presence of ascites. Moving on to studies to obtain in the setting of ovarian cancer, serum labs should include CA-125, otherwise known as cancer antigen 125. Sensitivity and specificity for ovarian cancer is highest in postmenopausal women with a pelvic mass. Note that other conditions can increase CA-125 levels as well, like endometriosis, uterine lyomyoma, and pelvic inflammatory disease. An ovarian biopsy is indicated to confirm the diagnosis and specify the ovarian tumor subtype. This can arise from the surface epithelium, germ cells, or sex cord stromal tissue. Now let's go over some ovarian tumor subtypes. We'll go over surface epithelium tumors, germ cell tumors, sex cord stromal tumors, and other types of tumors. So starting with surface epithelium tumors, benign tumors include a serous cyst adenoma, which is the most common benign ovarian neoplasm that contains fallopian tube-like epithelium. Other types of benign surface epithelium tumors include a mucinous cyst adenoma, which contains mucus-secreting epithelium. Finally, an endometrioid tumor is another type of benign surface epithelium tumor, which have tubular glands that resemble the endometrium. They may arise in the setting of endometriosis and are otherwise known as a chocolate cyst.
Types of malignant surface epithelium tumors include a cyst adenocarcinoma, which is the most common malignant ovarian neoplasm, and contains somoma bodies. Another type of malignant surface epithelium tumor is a mucinous cyst adenocarcinoma, which may be metastatic from gastrointestinal or appendiceal tumors. Know that a pseudomyxoma peritoni may result in mucinous accumulation in the peritoneum. Moving on to germ cell tumors, an example of a benign germ cell tumor is a mature cystic teratoma, which contains elements from all three germ cell layers, for example, hair, teeth, and sebum. The monodermal form can present as hyperthyroidism due to the presence of thyroid tissue. This is otherwise known as struma ovari. Examples of malignant germ cell tumors include dysgerminoma, which has a fried egg cell appearance and is associated with increased LDH and HCG levels and is equivalent to a seminoma in males. Another type of malignant germ cell tumor is an immature teratoma, which contains fetal tissue and neuroectoderm. Finally, a yolk sac tumor, otherwise known as an ovarian endodermal sinus tumor, is another type of malignant germ cell tumor, which can be yellow and friable, Know that Schiller-Duval bodies are present in 50% of cases and are associated with increased AFP levels. Moving on to sex cord stromal tumors, examples of benign sex cord stromal tumors include a fibroma and a thecoma. Fibromas have spindle-shaped fibroblasts and are associated with Meig syndrome, which is a triad of ovarian fibroma, ascites, and hydrothorax. A thecoma may produce estrogen, leading to postmenopausal bleeding. Examples of malignant sex cord stromal tumors include a granulosa cell tumor, which often produces estrogen, leading to postmenopausal bleeding, precocious puberty, and breast tenderness. Know that call Exner bodies are haphazard organization of granulosa cells around eosinophilic fluid. Some other types of ovarian tumors to mention include Brenner tumors, which are benign and consist of transitional cells resembling bladder epithelium and have quote-unquote coffee bean nuclei. One other subtype of ovarian tumor that is malignant to know is a Krukenberg tumor, which is a mucin-secreting signet cell adenocarcinoma, which is secondary to metastatic gastrointestinal cancer. The differential diagnosis for ovarian cancer is leiomyoma. Differentiating factors between leiomyoma and ovarian cancer is that leiomyoma consists of world pattern of smooth muscle in the uterus. Moving on to treatment, ovarian cancer treatment depends on the stage, nodal status, and pathology for example, a bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. Complications of ovarian cancer include ascites, malignant pleural effusion, bowel obstruction, and metastasis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 62-year-old woman presents to the emergency department after an episode of lightheadedness. She was using the bathroom when she felt lightheaded and fell to the floor. Her daughter found her and brought her into the emergency department right away. The patient has a past medical history of obesity and diabetes mellitus. She came to the emergency department one week ago for a similar complaint. The patient states that she has otherwise felt well with the exception of fatigue, constipation, an odd sensation in her chest, and a decreased appetite, and the desire to drink recently caused her to lose 10 pounds. Her temperature is 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 122 over 88 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 92 per minute. Respirations are 14 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam reveals a cardiopulmonary exam within normal limits and stable gait. The patient has an obese abdomen with abdominal distension. Strength is 5 out of 5 in the upper and lower extremities. Which of the following is associated with the most likely diagnosis? 
and the choices are 1, CA-125, 2, cardiac arrhythmia, 3, dehydration, 4, seasonal viral infection, and 5, vagal response. The correct answer to this question is 1, CA-125. So this patient is presenting with symptoms suggestive of ovarian cancer, which is associated with a tumor marker CA-125. Ovarian cancer presents with nonspecific symptoms. Typically, an elderly female patient will be present with fatigue, malaise, constipation, bloating, and increased abdominal girth despite weight loss. By the time symptoms present, ovarian cancer is typically late stage. CA-125 is a useful tumor marker to track the pathology and its response to treatment. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, cardiac arrhythmia, could present with syncope and an odd sensation in the patient's chest. However, it does not explain the other nonspecific symptoms that this patient is experiencing. Answer 3, dehydration could explain this patient's syncope and weight loss. However, her other symptoms, such as increased abdominal girth and constipation, suggest a diagnosis of ovarian cancer. Answer 4, seasonal viral infection, could reflect influenza or corona slash rhinovirus. However, her systemic symptoms in the setting of weight loss and increased abdominal girth suggest a diagnosis of ovarian cancer. Finally, answer 5, vagal response, could explain this patient's syncope, given that she was using the bathroom when her symptoms began. However, it does not explain her constellation of other symptoms. To leave you with a bullet summary, ovarian cancer is associated with fatigue, malaise, constipation, bloating, increased abdominal girth, weight loss, and an elevated CA-125. Moving on to the final question, a five-year-old girl is brought to the clinic by her mother for excessive hair growth. Her mother reports that for the past two months, she has noticed hair at the axillary and pubic areas. She denies any family history of precocious puberty and reports that her daughter has been relatively healthy with an uncomplicated birth history. She denies any recent illnesses, weight change, fever, vaginal bleeding, pain, or medication use. Physical examination demonstrates tanner stage four development. A pelvic ultrasound shows an ovarian mass. Laboratory studies demonstrates an elevated level of estrogen. What is the most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Congenital adrenal hyperplasia, 2. Granulosa cell tumor, 3. Idiopathic precocious puberty, 4. McCoon-Albright syndrome, and 5. Sertoli-Leydig tumor. The correct answer to this question is 2. Granulosa cell tumor. So this patient's precocious puberty in the setting of pubic hair growth and tanner stage 4 development before age 8, ovarian mass, and elevated estrogen levels suggest granulosa cell tumor. Granulosa cell tumor is the most common form of malignant stromal tumors of the ovaries. Although it predominantly occurs in women over the age of 50, it can also occur in prepubescent children. The tumor often produces estrogen and or progesterone and presents with postmenopausal bleeding, sexual precocity, and breast tenderness. Of note, histopathological findings of granulosa cell tumors are significant for call exner bodies, which consists of granulosa cells arranged around eosinophilic fluid. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, congenital adrenal hyperplasia consists of a collection of enzyme deficiencies at the adrenal gland that leads to an enlargement of both adrenal glands due to increased adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH. Depending on the specific enzyme deficiency, female patients may present with either virilization or delayed sexual development. Answer 3, idiopathic precocious puberty, stands as one of the most common causes of precocious puberty. However, it would not explain this patient's elevated estrogen or ovarian mass. 
Answer four, McCoon Albright syndrome is a rare disorder that is characterized by precocious puberty, irregular cafe au lait skin pigmentation, and dysplasia of bone. This patient's physical exam did not show skin hyperpigmentation, and the patient denies any pain. Finally, answer five, Sertoli-Leydig tumor is a form of stromal tumor of the ovaries. These tumors produce androgens and androgen precursors and result in virilization in patients. However, it is worth noting that estrogenic manifestations are observed in a small subset of patients due to presumed peripheral conversion of androgens. Given that granulosa cell tumor is the most common ovarian stromal tumor, it is the more likely diagnosis in this case. To leave you with a bullet summary, a patient who presents with precocious puberty, ovarian mass, and elevated estrogen levels most likely has a granulosa cell tumor of the ovaries. That's all for this review about ovarian cancer. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.